0: And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.
1: You're listening to the Fantrax Podcast Network. Fantasy Sports Entertainment lives here. (laughs) The Nasty Cast might sound like a silly name for a show. But this is a serious fantasy baseball podcast. Okay, maybe not that serious. But these guys aren't just here to party. Here now our hosts Nathan Dawkins, Van Lee, and Ron Rigney.
2: Hello, and welcome to episode 230 of the Nasty Cast Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Part of Course by Fantrax. I'm your host, Nathan Dawkins, and on today's show, we're going to be recapping the 2020. 2020- MLB draft. It's going to be a great time. And joining me for this occasion, uh, he's got no stories to tell, but uh, he is living the life down there in uh, shady
0: Florida because the sun is down. We've established that. How, Ron Rigney, how are you doing? I'm doing good. I, you know, I don't have any stories to tell, but I do. I do want to say that I think I've reached. I've definitely reached like old guy dad level because I am very excited about some sod that was laid in my yard. And I mowed that sod today for the first time, and I stood there and admired it, and it was a great feeling. So I think I've definitely graduated to that point, so I need to just get me some uh, New Balance white and blue old man shoes and call it a day, and I think I'm going to do that. A hundred percent, yes.
2: Welcome to uh, the You're in the Dead Hall of Fame now, I think, laying down sod and mowing it. Well done. That's a satisfying feeling. You know what else is satisfying is inviting Van Lee to the podcast. What's up, Van?
1: Yes, thank you. I still require an invitation every week. It's not like I expect to do this. I'm like, oh, man, I hope they invite me back for this week's episode. I do happen to have a story for you guys. And I'm going to lead it off with just talking, You know, Ron, you mentioned being a dad and all that. Well, I think there comes a time in a person's life, and I know Ron's there, that poop stories go from like you can't tell anyone that because it's so embarrassing and you'll be made fun of or whatever to like, Oh no, I crapped my pants the other day. Let me tell you about (laughs) it. There's a, there's a time in a man's life when that happens and we know Ron's past it. I'm well past it. I was past that far sooner than everyone else. But uh, I was talking about this phenomenon with someone else and it, it came to my attention that I had repressed a memory from when I was a kid that I told no one about because of course it was a horrible story and a terrible memory and I, I wanted to tell it because, uh I don't know, maybe it'll take the weight off of my heart or at least be humorous. But when I was a kid, my mom and my grandfather worked for a place called Bass Pro, which I'm sure you're probably at least somewhat familiar with. The headquarters for Bass Pro is located in Springfield, Missouri, where I grew up. And it's basically just a big fishing and camping store. They sell all kinds of crap in there. There's also alligators for some reason, like real alligators. But whatever. What? Yeah. She walked to the store and there's some For area sale? With alligators.
0: I got that in my yeah. backyard. I'm not impressed.
1: So Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there's also the turtles. Now, the turtles you can reach. Obviously, you shouldn't touch the turtles. But I guarantee some kid has done a horrible thing to a turtle in that store. And they've had to cover it up, <laughs> which is sad. But uh, so anyway, they worked at Bass Pro. And every year, Bass Pro is huge. They would hold this company picnic and invite all the employees out. And I loved it. There was like a three or four or five year period where I would go to this picnic and they'd have these tents set up where you could throw ping pong balls in the, the little cups with water. And if you got it in, you won a prize and you'd end up winning more prizes than you didn't win. And it was stuff like, um, oh, cheap plastic craft or those little paper airplanes that you could you put together and they'd have a little uh, plastic piece you put in the front and they'd fly and they look like bombers and different things. But they also had a big lake nearby and you could swim in it. And I love swimming in that lake, even though I know if I went and looked at it this day and age, it would be just filthy and disgusting. But I remember I was swimming and I had to poop. I was young, maybe 32 and uh, <laughs> no, much younger than that. And I'm swimming around and I just dropped my pants and just went standing, you know, chest deep water in this lake, just taking a crap. There were, I don't know, standing didn't think up, anybody like, yeah, just standing there. Maybe I squatted a little. Who knows? <laughs> uh, I'm just like Arnie from Magic Tavern. Poop standing up. Yes. But uh, anyway, so I go and I realize I had looped my pants around my right foot, but I had shifted while pooping. I couldn't find my pants. <laughs> and I i don't know how long it really was, but I feel like I spent five hours in this lake because I didn't have any <laughs> pants and I was too afraid to tell anyone. Eventually, I had to tell my uncle who showed up randomly I'm like, hey, I don't have any pants. What do I do? He's like, what? Why don't you have any pants? I'm Like, oh, I had to poop. Why did you and it became a whole deal, but I still to this day repressed it. And then remembered that time I crapped in a lake and lost my pants and missed an entire picnic because I was too afraid to tell anyone.
2: Oh, my God. So the physics are just boggling my mind right now. First of all, just pooping standing up is incredibly bizarre, <laughs> even if you're underwater. But also when you poop it, doesn't it just like bloop, like go right up to the surface and like... <laughs> Rub against your back?
1: <laughs> not mine, buddy. Mine are, mine are sinkers. <laughs> all oh, really through. <laughs> Hit like a rock, like a stone, like a turtle fell in the water. Bro- boom! <laughs>
0: the Little lead pellets just dropping.
1: <laughs> exactly. Drop an anchor at the bottom. Not pro. fishing with bobbers, son.
2: Wow. Wow. <laughs> You're welcome. Where do we go from there? <laughs> yes, welcome to the Nasty Cast. Um, when, what's the weirdest place? You lost your pants. Tweet us at Nasty Cast Pod. <laughs> I am in Nathan And Man, is that Manly Van Lee? Please tell him all your crazy poop stories. Ron is at The Real Ma Day. Air uh, Cross is featured on this podcast. He's not with us at the moment, but he is at Air Cross04. And if you don't have Twitter you want to shoot us a message or got a question or anything, uh, you can always send us an email to nastytrackspods at gmail.com. And you can also support the show by leaving us a nice five-star review on iTunes. That helps us out a lot. You could also go to patreon.com slash nastypod, and as little as a dollar per month helps us sustain the podcast throughout all of these dark days. And you get some benefits, too. You get access to all of our uh, backlog of uh, bonus Patreon-exclusive podcasts. Backlog. Back-
1: oh, you, you, uh, uh-huh. you had
2: yourself a little mm. backlog in that lake. Yeah.
1: <laughs> i interrupted him now he's key he can't finish we'll see
2: <laughs> oh i can finish just give me a <laughs> moment uh slack channel that's where i was yeah dollar per month also gives you access to our slack channel so hey you can talk to us all the time um good times in the slack channel at all times i can't remember what i was just gonna say so i'll just move on check out fun clips of the show on our youtube channel you and go to fantraxhq.com to find all of our written content as well as links to other great podcasts on the Fantrax podcast network. Eric cross has a ton of a uh, ton more uh, MLB draft stuff that will be coming out on the website. So be sure to check that out. If you love dynasty, which, you know, this is going to be, I mean, it's MLB draft. So a lot of it is going to be dynasty talk because guess what? A lot of these high school players, you're not going to see them for five years if ever. Um, but they're going to be heavily impactful upon your rookie drafts in dynasty leagues. And what better time to start up a dynasty league than now you got nothing else going on. Um, and I also have I'm starting to dabble in some football content. We've got an AFC North preview coming out on Fantrax HQ. You can check that out very soon. Uh, with that, I think we're gonna go ahead and take a little break here, and we'll come back on the other side with the 2020 MLB draft recap. Enjoy the show. Nasty
0: one more time.
2: Welcome back to Fantrax Dynasty Baseball, and we are going to crush this uh, day one recap of the 2020 MLB draft, and we're going to start off right at the top with Spencer Torkelson. Uh, No surprise there, he goes to the Detroit Tigers. Ron, why don't you tell us a little bit about what makes him the number one overall pick?
0: Yeah, definitely set himself apart from the rest of this class as far as being the first overall pick. So, what you got here is you've got a six foot one, two hundred twenty pound, twenty year old college first baseman, and we'll get to that position stuff here in a little bit, which is kind of the more most intriguing part of this whole uh, pick announcement, as him going first off the board. Because I don't think anybody really questioned who was going to be the first pick, but I dug into him a little bit, looked at his college college stats, college record a little bit, tells you a little bit about the guy when he broke Barry Bonds' Arizona State freshman home run record. Didn't get drafted out of high school. And if you go uh, look up some of these guys and you look, a, a lot of them got drafted late, late round and, you know, before out of high school. He was not one of those. And so that speaks a little bit, I think, to his ability to figure out what it is that he needs to improve on and greatly improve upon it. And that's kind of what he did heading into college there. 54 homers and 127 career games. Like all all these guys in the draft, and even a few of them that we'll talk about later on, some of them had no high school season whatsoever or college season whatsoever. Some of these guys had a very, very limited college season for various obvious reasons, whether it be with the whole COVID thing going on or whether it be injury-related. But nonetheless, still have a little bit of of a body of work here to look at with Spencer Torkelson. And he was on the radar even before this this season began. When I kind of look at him, immediately I thought of Andrew Vaughn. The hit tool, grades out, 60, 65 grade power, first baseman. Saw some comparisons from different scouts. I have a couple that compared him to Pete Alonzo. I saw one in there to Chris Bryant. I think fantasy-wise, he's more Chris Bryant than he is Pete Alonzo because I feel like the hit tool and the average is going to be a little bit more solid than Pete Alonzo. And I don't know necessarily if the power is going to be quite where Pete Alonzo is, but I think he kind of lands in that in between there with the pop. Thing about him with Detroit, whether or not he plays first, they actually announced him as a as a third baseman, which I thought was kind of intriguing because he's. I, I read that he's taken some some ground balls there. He's practiced there. I don't know if he's necessarily played there in a game at Arizona State. I know he's played in the outfield there. So it, it they were very confident. I actually saw heard. I think it was on MLB, MLB uh, radio. They talked to. Alavila and Al this this GM of the Tigers, he's very confident that they can teach him how to play third base. We know the bat's going to make his way to the lineup, so I think that's going to obviously buy him some time if he does have a little bit of a, a struggle with the, with learning third base. However, when you look at the depth chart for the Tigers, whether he's six at third or whether he goes to first, there's not really a whole lot standing in his way. So he's going to progress, I think, pretty quickly once we end up having uh, minor league baseball and end up having major league baseball, but – With their system, they can't afford to not bring him up pretty quickly. Nice compliment to a lot of those, the the Casey Mises and the Tariq Scooballs of the world, the guys that, you know, they have all these arms that we talked about in the preview. They needed to add some bats. They definitely did that with the best one that they could have gotten. 337 career hitter. But yet again, question mark is, is he going to stick at first? Is he going to stick at third? Either way. Fantasy-wise, this is the guy that's going to be first off the board in your drafts. This is the guy that's going to progress quickly. This is the guy that has a shot at playing time very, very quickly. And obviously, you know, when you've got a guy that's struck out 104 times to 110 times that he's walked, that speaks volumes about what his approach is at the plate.
2: Yeah, I think I'm going to be pretty dubious that he remains a third baseman uh, in the long term and by the time that he's up with the Tigers, but... Um, You know, they can they can always dream. They can say what they want. I'm going to go ahead and be a little pessimistic there, at least on the defense. Um, So Spencer Spencer Torkelson, obviously going number one there. Number two was a bit of a surprise here. The Orioles go with Heston Kirstead. And so, Eric, I'm going to send it over to you to talk about him. But I also would like to know uh, we didn't discuss this beforehand, but uh, kind of want to know where some of these guys are slotting into your uh, overall prospect ranks. If you have any of that done yet, uh, where would you slot in Spencer Torkelson? Uh,
3: yeah, Torkelson is borderline top 10 for me. I love Torkelson. I think he might actually have double plus raw power, above average hit tool. Um, I, I like. I think there's a bigger power gap to Vaughn than there is uh, hit tool advantage for Vaughn. So I think I'd give him a slight, very slight, like maybe he's like two or three spots ahead. Um, but yeah, he's he's just outside my top 10 right now. Um, and then a lot of the guys, I think I have like 15 to 20-ish off the top of my head that are in my top 100 overall. Um, I really like the top of this draft.
2: All right, cool. So um, we had the Orioles going kind of off book here with uh, Heston Kierstead. So what did you make about this pick?
3: Yeah, so for the most part, I think like 90-plus percent of mock drafts had kind of like locked in on, obviously Torque was number one that was was not going to change. And then most of them had... Austin Martin, two to Baltimore here, and then Asa Lacey, three to Miami. And then, obviously, Baltimore passed on Martin to go under slot here with Kirstad. And then the rest of the top five just kind of like went berserk uh, with Max Meyer going three. But, you know, this is – well, Kirstad is a – he's a very good prospect in general. He probably would have gone on talent alone right in the middle of the first round, I think. Um, one of the best power bats in this class, a very strong left-handed um, – Swing very strong frame, uh, easy pull power, uh, get, get some nice loft on that swing as well. The hit tool is, eh, some I've seen some put it at fifty, some put it at like forty five. I'm more in the forty five range right now, but I think he can be at least an average hit tool in time. Um, but you know, I don't think there, there's not a lot of speed, so it's like, he's gonna have to hit for power to make this you know pick work. You know, I think he could be a thirty to thirty five home run bat. Maybe hits in the vicinity of 260. Uh, approach could use a little bit of work, too. He walked uh, close to th- – uh, I mean, struck out close to two and a half times more than he walked uh, in his uh, 150 games in Arkansas. But um, the power is legit. He had 37 home runs in those 150 games, including six in the, you know, shortened 16 games that he was able to play in 2020 before the season came to an end. Um, but this is – you know, this is a very good power bat, but that power is going to have to be robust for him to, you know – make an impact in fantasy and also to, you know, make Baltimore fans not hate this pick. I remember right after the pick, like Alex Fast, you know, he texted me. He's like, he was just like about to set the world on fire. He's like, what are we doing? Um, so I know Baltimore fans probably aren't, you know, happy that they passed on Austin Martin or even like an ace Lacey or, or something like that. But, you know, this is potentially be a, you know, guy that hits maybe cleanup. I see more of like a number five guy um, in the order that kind of stretches the lineup and adds a little bit more power you know, after the, you know, three, four guys come through. So um very good, very good prospect, but um he's not, you know, this is kind of a surprise, like you said, at number two overall.
2: Right. Uh And, you know, spoiler alert, I wasn't crazy about what they did after that either to kind of, you know, make up for reaching a little yeah. bit on number two, they're going under slot. Um, so I don't know necessarily that that plan really came together for them. Um, but in any case, we can move on to the third overall pick here, of course, was Max Meyer. A lot of people thought, you know, they're, they've got plenty of young pitching. Maybe they go with a hitter. You know, Austin Martin's still sitting out there. Even Nick Gonzalez, maybe Zach Bean. But no, they didn't even go with the uh, the number one pitcher on a lot of people's boards, Ace Lacy. Instead, they went with Max Meyer, right-hander out of Minnesota. Uh, kind of up in my neck of the woods. Minnesota. And uh, Really impressive pair of uh, pitches to begin with, which, I mean, obviously you expect from the third overall pick in the draft, but everything starts out with a double plus slider with Meyer, uh, which is very hard, gets up into the 90s and just absolutely falls off the table. Also a double plus fastball that sits in the upper 90s that can touch 100 miles an hour and both pitches are arguably the best fastball and slider in the entire draft class. Um, but the reason you know, a lot of people like Ace Lacy over Meyer is because of some of the knocks on Meyer, which you know, there are a few, first of all, the third pitch change up distant third offering right now. So the repertoire is definitely not as deep as you would get with a guy like Lacey. Uh, And secondly, he is listed at just six foot, 185 pounds. So not exactly the type of frame you want from a front end starter who you like to get a ton of innings from. And he already worked out of relief for part of his time at Minnesota and still hasn't racked up a ton of innings. So You know, there is very much some reliever risk here, but still, that ceiling is huge if he can stay healthy. And if that third pitch comes along, um, either way, he's going to be drafted very early on in rookie drafts. Uh, But number four, Van, we'll kick it to you here. The Royals did end up going with Ace Lacey. So what's the report on him?
1: Yeah, Lacey, of course, was largely regarded as the best pitcher in this draft so it's interesting to see him slip two fourth if we can call that a slip for what that's worth uh six foot four inch 250 pound lefty out of texas a&m which by the way i looked it up i was like texas arts and i don't know what the m stands for it's uh i've already forgotten Uh, it was like agriculture and mechanical mechanical. but texas a&m stands for nothing that means nothing but when it was formed in like 1860 or something or other it was called the college of our agriculture and mechanics in Texas. And then it became Texas AM. And now there's the AM stands for nothing. So it's just a college. I thought that was fascinating and weird, but whatever. Texas, you're messed up. Anyway, uh <laughs> Lacey on the other hand, uh, four pitch mix includes the fastball about ninety two to ninety four. He can touch ninety seven. Sometimes I've seen ninety-eight, uh, but you know, guns are weird. Anyway, he throws hard. He's got a plus change, plus curve, and a slider, which he used to strike out right-handed hitters with a lot of regularity in his last season there in college. He has a nice, simple delivery. I actually really like his delivery, which surprised me a little bit. A lot of those top left-hand starters at this age, I kind of go, that delivery's wonky. They need to adjust. Nope. I thought it was – I thought it's a nice, consistent delivery. Um I think he'll be able to morph into some consistency because of that delivery and because of his relief point at some point, but right now, the big knock on him is of course his inability to have command control. He walked uh, i think over four per nine his final year there in college, which is too much and it's because of that that uh, i'm I'm a little wary of Lacey, I like Lacey but i just don't know that i see true top of the rotation ace potential here like we often see like when strasburg was drafted everyone's like oh that guy's going to be an ace i just don't see that i see a very very good pitcher uh if everything does pan out i could see maybe like patrick corbin style stuff to compare to another lefty excellent stuff across the board but maybe just not quite that you know number one that pitcher stuff that we're kind of looking out the command issues his fastball isn't truly elite it's just very very good as of right now kind of limit that upside a bit. So... I think the good news that will come out of this is that he can work on all these things. So there's plenty of time for him to become that potential ace. But as it stands right now, I think he's merely going to be a very, very, very good pitcher. I think upside, again, it's like your Patrick Corbin type. Downside, and this is where you'll find out I actually like Lacey. I think downside, he's like a Robbie Ray type, a guy who's going to be a very good pitcher but just struggles with command, strikes a bunch of batters out. So I foresee a very nice path for him. And I like him a lot, but it's just how I feel about a lot of young pitchers when they're 20, 21, 22 and raw. It's just uh, it's hard to see the peak potential. And right now, I don't know that the peak potential is as high as a lot of people think with him, in my opinion. But I do still think he's a very, very good pitcher. So I'll, I'll need to see him pitch for a little bit. Who knows when that's going to be, maybe next year, and then yeah, kind of formulate a plan as to whether or not I think he's really going to, to really fix those command issues. I did watch some video today and actually reminded me a little bit of CJ Wilson in uh, in his delivery, although the release point is a little bit different, but overall, nice little pickup here, and I think the Royals actually did some really good things in this draft, starting with Lacey.
2: Yeah, he uh, piles on to an already nice, uh, really strong crop of minor league pitchers there for the Royals. So, so we'll be afraid of that in a couple of years as a Twins fan. But right now, yeah, like a really yeah, high well, floor player. With, they're going yeah, to they yeah. ruin it. The Royals ruin everything. Just <laughs> they'll, find, they'll find a way. Their offense is, uh, you know, not looking great anyway. So. Um, so anyway, let's move on to number five here. Ron, the Jays potentially got a steal here with Austin Martin.
0: Yeah, according to everybody that makes makes these types of lists, you know, Eric mentioned it earlier. It was kind of projected by pretty much everybody that Austin Martin was going to be the second pick off the board, but we see him slip to number five. And you know, when you think about Toronto, it's kind of a case of the rich getting richer as far as these young players. So you, you go with Austin Martin at number five, shortstop out of Vanderbilt. Yet again, another guy that was announced at a position that he hasn't really played a whole heck of a lot. Six one one eighty five, twenty one years old. Main calling card on him is going to be the hit tool, 65-grade hit tool, best pure hitter in the draft. Not a ton of power here, but that's not necessarily his calling card anyway. I think he's going to give you some sneaky power just because he is such a good hitter. But he slots in in this, you know, the the Vlad Juniors and the, the Bichettes and the Cavendigios of the world. It's going to be interesting to see where they end up putting him because all of the, you know, middle infield to corner infield spots that he could possibly play are kind of – Jammed up by some pretty solid talent there, so it kind of stands to reason that he's going to move back to the outfield, which is perfectly fine for Toronto. They're going to get that bat in the lineup, and they're not going to really need to rely on him for for a ton of offensive production. I think you know he slots in there really nicely with the rest of those pieces, and you know it's one of these things where, like I said, the power is only fifty grade. He's not. He's going to give you a few steals. He's not going to give you a ton. But he's gonna the the hitting eye is off the charts as far as just the plate discipline as far as him being able to you know pick his spots and wait on a pitch to hit that's the things that he does well. In in my research, I saw a couple of comparisons to Ben Zobris as far as maybe not so much on the offensive side, but he seems to be pretty versatile. And then a lot of the scouts believe that he's a good enough athlete that you could put him pretty much anywhere and he would succeed. So that's yet another thing that. You know, Toronto wants to put him in any of the three outfield spots or they want to move him to second or shortstop one day. I saw a couple of scouts believe that he might slot in there at second eventually. So it doesn't really matter where he plays. He's Kind of like I mentioned with Torkelson, that bat's going to put him in the lineup no matter what. They're going to find a place to get the offense in there. Yet again, a college bat, 21 years old. So once again, when we kind of resume things, another guy that you can kind of figure to uh, – kind of fast track that way into the majors. And you can't help but think also, too, of Dansby Swanson as well, another Vanderbilt shortstop to win ultra high a few years ago.
2: Yeah, if I was a Jays fan, I mean, I'd be pretty happy right now. You got mm-hmm. a really stout-looking young core of offensive players to look forward to watching for a very long time. Um, so, Eric, we'll go back to you here for our pick number six. Uh, wound up being Emerson Hancock, who's thought to be, you know, previously maybe he was going to be the number one pitcher off the board, but he slipped to number six here. Um, what do you think? Is that a pretty good get for the Mariners? Oh, that's a
3: great get. He's my favorite pitcher in this draft class. And yeah, you know, I I like Asa Lacey. I like Max Meyer. I really like another guy we'll talk I'll talk about in a little bit here. But yeah, I think Hancock has the highest ceiling in this class. I think he has the most diverse and you know arsenal in this class. You know, he starts off, you know, mid-90s fastball, can get up to 98, 99, strong arms had life on that. You know, the combination of velocity, movement, and his command on the pitch makes it easily plus, maybe even a bit higher than that. Um, best sec- best uh, breaking pitch, he throws both a slider and a curve. Both are pretty good. Slider's better. Uh, sharp two plane break in the uh, mid 80s. Really hard late movement. Uh, that's easily a plus pitch. And then that's not even his best secondary in general, like the changeup, which is arguably one of the best cha- best like two to three changeups in the draft um, plenty of velocity separation plenty of depth and fade uh, that's a borderline 70 grade offering you know right now he's kind of a little bit uh, control over command um and that the command was kind of the reason why like you know people say that he didn't have a good season you know his, his command was a little off he got hit a little harder than he had in previous years but you know for what it's worth he lowered his walk rate and increased his strikeout rate for the second straight season albeit you know that's in four starts You can't really take much from four starts. Um, but he wasn't as bad as some people kind of let on. But, you know, it did cause him to slide a little bit. Um, like you mentioned, Nate, he was you know, in the running for number one overall uh, when the uh, 2020 NCA season started. Um, but, yeah, this is a great get here for Seattle. Um, him and Logan Gilbert, that's a really good duo there long term. Uh, Could be a nice one-two duo down the road. Uh, I, I love Hank. he's my favorite pitcher from this draft. You know, if I was looking to take, you know, a pitcher, you know, in the six to ten range of you know first year player drafts for fantasy, I would look at Hancock's way first. You know, for his you know four pitch arsenal, three that have plus or better potential. You know, that like I said, borderline seventy grade change up. So this is just an ace in the making. You know, he's got a really clean delivery too. Repeats it well. Can pound the strike zone. Six um, four two fifteen. Really strong frame. Um, so a lot of stuff to like here. Um, and even though he just slide a little bit, like I said, this is, I think going to be the best pitcher in this draft long-term and someone I think is going to be a ace for a long time.
1: I was just pretty surprised that they actually let him join the draft considering he has all those superpowers and he's an alcoholic and fell in love with Charlie's throne. but I guess <laughs> they're totally fine with the Mariners getting a superhero. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah.
2: See, that's where you're, I was going with, I think that Emerson Hancock sounds a lot like, uh, a, a studious British chap, like he pitches with a monocle
1: and a top hat. Somehow, that's pretty Emerson good. Too. Hancock. I, like I almost went with uh, Emerson Hancock and Palmer, and make it like that <laughs> old, like '60s fusion rock band that that had like 45 minute songs that were just noisescapes. But uh, it turns out, instead, I went with Hancock, the Will Smith uh, vehicle from the late 2000s.
2: <laughs> you need to be on more substances, Van. You would have gone the other way there. <laughs>
1: uh so i got i have a massive jar of tylenol does that help i don't know where this came from it just showed up on my desk sure
2: it was mid podcast (laughs) if we hear that rattle again we'll know what's going on (laughs) Uh, so moving on to number seven in this draft the pirates took nick gonzalez right-handed bat out of new mexico state and he has one of the best pure hit tools in the entire draft class he's a a docking sized fellow at five ten, 190 pounds uh hits from the right side and uh he'll Almost certainly wind up as a second baseman, although I believe he was announced as a shortstop. Uh, but he'll probably move over to the Keystone there. He raked at New Mexico State, but does very, very uh, hitter-friendly conditions. But then he also performed very well at the Cape Cod League, won the MVP honors there thanks to his bat. So uh, definitely confident in his bat here. And he's a little bit more of a hit-over-power second-base prospect right now. But um, he does have above-average raw. He's got really, uh, really strong bat speed. Uh, as opposed to just being like super muscly or anything. So I think league average power is uh, a potential down the line, but also hitting in PNC isn't going to do him any favors. And, you know, he, right out of the gate, he's likely to be a little bit more of a line drive hitter early in his career. So uh does have above, above average speed, but was not very aggressive uh, stealing bases in college. So, There is a shot at five categories here if he decides to steal a little bit more, but he sure looks a heck of a lot like a future number two hitter to me who's going to get on base a ton and uh, should be a top five pick in most rookie drafts. Uh, So let's kick it back to Van here with the number eight pick. The Padres went with Robert Hassel.
1: The Hoff. I feel like we should start calling him that, seeing if it sticks. Done. Uh, Done. Yeah, I knew you'd be on board with that one. Uh, Robert Hassel, he was eighth pick, as you said, to the Padres. He's consistently described with a term. I wrote this. I wrote this earlier, and I'm going to go ahead and read it as I wrote it. Although okay. both you and Eric have used this phrase, which you both know, I'm sure, as one of my favorite phrases in the history of fantasy baseball. Robert Hassel has constantly been described with the fa- my favorite term, the best pure high school pure hitter. Right. <laughs> and everyone knows how I feel about the term "pro hitter." That's when people don't have power or skills, and they're like, oh, he can just—he hits well. We have a batting average. He's a pure hitter. I hate that expression, but anyway, I use it too. So that's I right. We—that's when we dubbed it. you the pure podcaster of the. That's background. right. I remember that. That was fairly recent. Yeah. So going back to Hassel the Huff, he's an 18-year-old kid. He came out of Independence High School in Tennessee. He actually has a commitment to Vanderbilt, and uh, I haven't seen any news as to whether or not. He's co- continued to com- stay with that commitment or sign with the Padres. I think, considering he's he's eighth, so eight, I think considering he's eighth overall, and there's a pretty sizable uh, dollar sign attached to that pick. I believe he'll end up signing with the Padres. You don't see you know top end picks like that not sign unless they're like Kyler Murray and it's because they're going to different sport or whatever it may be. So we'll see. But he does still have a commitment to Vanderbilt. If he does sign. Uh, he represents a pretty decent outfield option who hopes to grow into some power to go along with that smooth swing and solid athleticism. He is a center fielder right now. However, nothing in the profile tells me that he's really going to stick in center field. I mean, I guess he could, he could be that Jock Peterson's type of center fielder. That's just kind of there and fills in nothing special, but I foresee him being a corner guy eventually. Uh, He has a smooth enough swing and good enough eye at the plate. He could quickly ascend the lower levels of the minors. Problem is a lot of scouts don't think his power will translate to the majors. So there might be more of an empty average bat if it doesn't pan out. I'm thinking that the most logical outcome here is that he becomes like an Alex Verdugo type, a guy who doesn't have a ton of power, but can grow into it or displays a little bit of it. Although uh, Hassel doesn't have quite that speed, so I wouldn't count on even Alex Verdugo speed levels. But if he does fill out because he's very young, he could grow into some power and become a a really nice all around player. But as of right now, I think he's mostly just going to be a pretty good pure hitter. And
2: uh, couldn't have said it better myself, the pure podcaster Bentley. So with that, let's go ahead and take a break here and uh, we'll come back on the other side and uh, discuss the rest of the day one picks. (music) All right, welcome to Fantrax Dynasty Baseball. And uh, I know this is going to break your heart, Mr. Cross. I know you want to talk about Zach Fien getting drafted by the Rockies. I saw I mean oh, you I still just... <laughs> Okay. They're <laughs> all over that on Twitter. I had to put a warning out there so you could get a – Zach needs a um, – uh, what is it called? Uh, a... um, yeah, what did you say? What, what's the <laughs> stay away oh, <well>, order? Like. <laughs> Uh, the legal document keeping you away. Uh, the name eludes me right now. Restraining oh.
1: motor? Yeah. Okay. There you there there go. There. One of us knew it eventually.
0: Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't know it for a reason. I just, <laughs> never mind. Go ahead. Sure.
2: Well, anyway, <laughs> it's Ron's turn to speak right now. So uh, we're going to break these picks down a little bit more of a macro view. So, Ron, if you could cover picks 9 through 14 here, we would be eternally grateful.
0: Yeah, we'll speed it up here. We'll give you the notes, virgin version, virgin version. Oh, virgin, 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 they virgins? might be virgins. Whoa, this show just got be. great. <laughs> and, and now we
3: know why Ron has a restraining order on him. <laughs> Freudian slip, Or do
0: you? So, in addition to it, Rocky's at number nine, taking Zach Veen off the board, just mentioned him, and in, in addition to all the fun things you can rhyme his name with, six four, hundred pounds high school outfielder, beautiful lefty swing, check some film out on him if you have not. 60-grade hitter, 55-grade power, and much like Eric Cross, uh, I guess if you could jump for joy on Twitter, I think he did that. He did his happy dance, and I agree with him. That offensive game and core is definitely something to get excited about as far as fantasy. Uh, number ten, Angels, Van's Angels took Reed Deppers off the board. Lefty out of Louisville, six two, six two lefty, nice uh, floor. Figures to be kind of a mid rotation innings eater type guy. I think there's a little bit of potential there for a little bit more gets compared to uh, current Ray, former teammate. At the University of Louisville, Brendan McKay, mid-90s fastball, effective curve and slider, decent control. So nice little rotation piece there for them, a college arm that figures to kind of rise fairly quickly. At number 11, the White Sox take a guy off the board. It's a little bit of a head-scratcher here. 6'6 lefty out of Tennessee, Garrett Crochet. Some of the best stuff in the draft. A couple scouts said he has the best lefty stuff in the draft. Fastball that sits in the high 90s, can hit 100 on it a mid 80 slider change up that gets close to 90 but the problem is with him he pitched out of the bullpen at Tennessee had some injury issues and ended up making one start in his final season there and that was the only start he ended up making so Sox plan on trying to develop him as a starter but I think it's a nice consolation prize with him if he doesn't nice little weapon out of the back into the pen there uh number 12 Reds take Austin Hendrick another high school uh, bat off the board, 60-grade power. That's kind of his name of the game. Every every scouting report you read about him, it's bat speed, bat speed, bat speed. And I think there's a little bit of more. He's only 19, so he's not a guy that we're going to see, I don't think, ultra quickly. But once he gets up there, if he can kind of get the hit tool on par with the power and the bat speed, I think that's really going to benefit him at Great American Ballpark. So that's a nice pick by the Reds there. 13 a little bit of a head-scratcher for me just because it uh, kind of goes against my one of my favorite minor league man crushes and that's the Giants selecting Patrick Bailey, catcher out of NC State. And when you kind of read about Patrick Bailey's game, this just to me seems like a very Giants pick. It's kind of what they do. Defensive first catcher, called his own games in college, a lot of scouts like that. Potential for a little bit of pop here. Question is how good is the hit tool going to be? Currently sits at a 45. Some of the theories out there were, you know, if Joey Bart is out there, aside from my love for him, he, you know, he's a top prospect in their system he's a top prospect on everybody's list why would they take another catcher if they have him sitting there one of the theories was maybe they kind of see down the line in a year or two the universal dh becoming a thing and maybe that way they'll be able to use that to their advantage and have that bat in there would joey barbie moving positions i don't know would they want to just rotate him out you know have one have a catcher known for hit the offense and then have one to rotate in for the defense who knows not a whole lot to get excited for from a fantasy standpoint. Like I said, there's a potential for a little bit of pop there, so could be useful down the line. And lastly, at 14, Rangers, Rangers take uh, second baseman out of Mississippi State, Justin Foskew. Run producer from the position, kind of like I mentioned with Spencer Torkelson, a kid that really improved from his freshman year at Mississippi State on up to his final year there. 50-grade hit, 50-grade power. No, doesn't do anything excellently, but I think does a lot of things very well. He's good enough defensively there. He can stick at second base. I think he can end up being an improvement over uh, show favorite Rognet Odor, uh, as far as I think he's got a lot of potential to post higher average, higher OBP there. You know how our guy Rognet doesn't like to take a walk. Um, made Like I said, made huge improvements after his freshman year. So I think there's a little bit of potential here to be kind of one of those late round middle infield uh, spot fillers that can give you a decent average, maybe give you double-digit home runs and double-digit steals down the line. A little bit of a head-scratcher of a pick there, but I think it fits what they want to do fine.
2: Yeah. Interesting group there. And I think arguably even a more interesting group here, actually even later here at 15 to 20, Eric, why don't you go ahead and break that down for us? Yeah. I love this, this group of picks here. Um, Starting off a 15
3: with one of my favorite pitch, my probably my second favorite pitcher in this entire draft. I love Micah bell. I, you know, I put out a couple of tweets. I think he might wind up as the best arm from this draft. I think he has that potential. Um, He's a high school arm out of Oregon six five with a ton of physical projection now, already shows a plus fastball and flashing you know two secondaries slider and change up that are above average to plus and I think with if he adds some more bulk that's a little bit of velo to that fastball which is already a very good pitch I think he could be a 70 grade fastball with those two really good secondaries and he's developing a curveball too which which projects to be at least average so A really nice four-pitch mix. Pretty solid command and control for his age as well. Um, So Micah Bell is a great get for the Phillies there. Has a chance to form a really nice one-two with Aaron Nola down the road, you know, four or five years out. But I love Micah Bell. At 16, the Cubs went hometown with Ed Howard, shortstop from Mount Carmel High School um, right there in the Chicago area. Uh, I think that's the same high school Alec Thomas went to, if I'm not mistaken. Uh a right-handed batter, plenty of bat speed. Um, and this is a a really good all-around player. It's a very good defender, strong arm, definitely can remain at shortstop long-term if that's what the Cubs decide they want to do with him. Good feel for hitting um, with a smooth swing, and plus speed as well. Uh, power is the only thing here that I'm really questioning. Um, doesn't incorporate his lower half much. Uh, it's a lot of upper body, and also the swing is pretty linear, so don't need to have some loft there. I think full potential for power probably peaks at 50 grade. That might be a little generous, but, you know, this could be like a 280-15 home run, 25 steel tip down the road. That plays good defense as well. Just really has a chance to impact the game on both sides of the ball. Uh, and then at 17, um, my Red Sox uh, disappointed hey. me, disappointed my buddy Ralph Lifshitz of Prospects Live. Um we Red Sox really needed to make an impact here. The farm system, as everyone knows, is not great. Uh, could have went with some of these outfielders that I'll talk about in a second here, plenty of good arms in the, a ton of good arms on the board, but they went Nick York, a second baseman out of Archbishop Mitty high school, California. How do you really um, feel though, Eric? <laughs> I mean, okay. In general, Nick York is a solid prospect. Like he's a very good hitter. You know, some scouts that saw him said he had one of the best hit tools on the West coast for a prep bat you know, he's got modest power and speed kind of like in that 15, 15 range, you know, but this would have been a good, like really good third round pick. Okay. Second round pick, you know, and the, you know, this was definitely a cost effective pick here. And then kind of like Baltimore, I wasn't overly, you know, enthralled with how the Red Sox went later on in the draft. Yeah. They got blaze Jordan in the third round, but he's kind of a project. So not a great pick overall, but you know, my rankings for first year player. I think he probably saw it in like the 60s or summers like that just because the hit tool and a little bit of pop out of his speed. Um, so, a yeah, decent little player, but not at set pick 17. Um, very, very good first pick in the and in the Bloom era here in Boston. Um, right after him, uh, Diamondbacks at 18 added Bryce Jarvis, righty out of Duke. It's another quality arm in this Arizona system. They already have a ton of pitchers. Luis Frias, Blake Wallston, JB Bukowskis, and the list goes on and on. And Jarvis adds another one, and they add another one, who I'll talk about later on in the late in the uh, comp round. Um, he was more Jarvis is more of a reliever to start his collegiate career before he kind of slowly transitioned more and more into the rotation as you know, his time that Duke went on. And that was that was definitely the right choice, I think. Now this is a guy has a really nice four pitch arsenal. All four project to be at least average. Um, with at least probably three of them being 55 or 60 grade offerings, flashing that um, he was really dominant in 2020 uh, in four starts, only allowed two earned runs in 27 innings, walking two, striking out 40. That kind of cemented his status as a first rounder. Um, still not totally sold on his control. Uh, he was above, you know, walk grade right above four in his first two years at Duke and on the Cape in 2018. Um, that kind of dropped way down. Like I said, two walks and in 27 innings. So. Still not totally sold on the control, but you know, this could be a, a nice number three starter that can miss plenty of bats. And um, at 19, a guy who I was hoping the Red Sox would take. Um Pete Crow Armstrong, um, outfielder at a Harvard Westlake High School in California. You know, this is you know, not this is not gonna ease the sting of of the Mets losing Kalenick, but I do think he's kind of a Kalenic light at the plate. Uh similar speed, both have plus speed, him and Kalenick. Um, but I think the hit tool and the power, power especially, is a notch below. But still, he's above-average contact skills. Very good defender in center field. Definitely can say there long-term. Pretty solid arm as well. Some projection left in this frame, but not a ton. Power max here is maybe scraping 50, but I don't think. That might be a little generous. Um, but this is a guy that could hit like 280, 290. Very good average. Add in, you know, double-digit home runs, maybe fit in the 15 range. Add in, you know, 25 or so steals. Very nice all-around player here um borderline top 10 for for fantasy purposes and then at 20 uh, one of my favorite players in this draft garrett mitchell uh to the brewers and this is instantly the best prospect in their system by a country mile uh probably by 150 slots or more in my overall rankings uh the gap is massive um yeah i'm all in on garrett mitchell um just looking at tools this on tools alone this would be like a top five player um pretty solid defender in center field strong arm Borderline double plus speed um, at the plate. Great feel for the barrel from the left side. Can spray line drives all over the field. Um, I think I think he led the nation, I believe, in extra base hits last year. He had 14 doubles, 12 triples, and six home runs. Um, but there's the thing. The, the power, which he showed off at plus or better raw power in batting practice, but it hasn't been able to translate uh, into games consistently yet. say only had six home runs in 2019, only two the year before that. Um, so that's going to be an issue here. How much power is he going to, you know, translate into games? The swing is pretty quick, but there's some mechanical issues to iron out. Uh, his hands and lower half aren't really in sync. Weight transfer isn't really smooth, especially through his hips. So, uh, and he can get on his front leg a bit early, which suppresses power right there. So, if those he doesn't need a swing overhaul, but if he can make those mechanical adjustments, you know, unlock more of that power. You know, this guy's you know above average, maybe even a plus hit. But at least above average, if he can get more of that power and there's that speed, he's going to be an offensive monster um, that can also play a really good center field as well. So that was a great pick by the Brewers at 20.
2: Yeah, I was pretty surprised that he got that far. Um, So, yeah, a very solid landing spot in terms of his fantasy value as well. So everybody wins there. Um, So I'm going to handle picks 21 through 25. Maybe not quite as interesting a group, but um, still a couple that stood out to me, not necessarily – uh, starting off with one though, with Jordan Walker, who went to the Cardinals with the 21st pick, prep third baseman out of Georgia, not really the type of guy the Cardinals usually draft. He's like already a huge guy, listed at 6'5, 220. And as that frame would indicate, massive raw power. But as you often get with that type of player, a uh, ton of swing and miss uh, with Walker's profile. So, kind of a high upside, low floor fantasy player. Probably going to have to shift to right field or first base in the long run rather than sticking at third base. 22nd was Cade Cavalli going to the Nationals. And this one made me curse out loud because he uh, only had to fall a little bit farther to get to my twins at 27, but it's a very Nationals pick here. So I shouldn't have been surprised, um, you know, kind of unlike what I just said about the uh, the Cardinals pick with Jordan Walker here, but Cade Cavalli, big kid, six foot four, 226 pounds, uh, right-handed pitcher out of Oklahoma Features features a uh, big mid nineties fastball can touch ninety eight with that effective slider and changeup as well so that's a great starting point for him but he's also dealt with a rash of injuries in the past and he's also shown some control issues so the Nats will have to iron out some of the kinks uh, to help him with that control but if he can stay healthy there's uh, probably number two upside here with Cade Cavalli number three or twenty three overall uh, was Carson Tucker to the uh, to the Indians. Who has a very fun spoonerism name in uh Cucker Tarlson. I mean, that'd be that'd be really fun. Uh maybe not quite, but anyway, uh younger brother of Cole Tucker of the Pirates. Um, he's also a uh Carson Tucker, also a solid defender, shortstop, shouldn't have any issues sticking at the position. Um, you know, tinkered with his swing a little bit this offseason to hit for more power and with above average speed as well. He could actually give us kind of low-end five categories here with an above-average hit tool. At uh, 24th overall, we move on to Ron Ron's Rays here. They picked up Nick Bitsko, right-handed pitcher who reclassified in order to be a part of this year's class and is only celebrating his 18th birthday this very day on the 16th as we record this. So happy birthday, Nick Bitsko. Um, congrats on being able to buy cigarettes in like three years. Uh, big kid, uh, is 6'4", 225 pounds. Uh, big fastball that sits mid-90s, can touch 99. Uh, true plus pitch for him. Uh, he's also got two breaking balls and a curve and a slider that could be plus with some work from the Rays. So, a uh, ton of risk here, as always, with a prep righty. But the upside is a frontline starter if everything comes together. And then number twenty-five was Jared Schuster to the Braves, and I love me a lefty, and he's a big one too. A six foot three, two hundred ten pounds. He's got a low nineties fastball, a touch ninety-seven. Uh, thanks to some improvements in the Cape Cod League that helped his control tick up a little bit as well. So uh, he's also got a plus change up to give him a really strong foundation there from the left side. But his breaking ball does need to improve, kind of re- reminiscent of Chris Paddock in, in that regard in some ways. But uh, so as picks uh, 21 through 25 there. So Van, let's go to you here for picks
1: 26 through 29. Yeah, and you said your group was a little less exciting. Well, guess what? My group is comprised of 50% catchers, (laughs) so if that tells you how this group's going to be. Yeah, right off the bat, pick number 26, we have Tyler Soderstrom with uh, Oakland. He is, again, a catching prospect, but he's one whose best tool is his bat. He is not a catching prospect because he's an elite defender. He's a catching prospect because at some point he liked being a catcher. No one likes that. It's the worst, so whatever. He chose to do it. If Oakland does decide to keep him behind the dish, I think you just forget about him because it's going to be years before you see anything. You don't even know how the bat's going to play up because he's not really going to be able to focus on hitting. It's strictly about being a defensive catcher. Uh, If, on the other hand, they decide to move him around a little bit, I think it will be worth keeping an eye on him because it would allow him to focus on hitting which he's pretty good at and perhaps reach relevance sooner. So this is all going to depend solely on what Oakland does. If they plug him behind the dish and say, "Okay, let's be the best catcher you can be." It may be 8 years before we see him. It's it's crazy some of the turnaround times on catchers. So I would uh add a note of caution to that just because of the position he plays. At pick number 27, Aaron Sabato went to your Twins Nate. He is a bat first prospect. With tons of power potential and scouts, even though he's very young, obviously he was just drafted already. Are like, Well, he's a terrible defender, he doesn't even have a spot to play. So, if that tells you anything about his skill set, if it works, boy, he's going to be a, a big, big power bat. So, you need to watch and see how he develops throughout the minors. And if he can continue putting bat to ball, then he'll be in decent shape. If he doesn't, then you know, he has he just has to hit because he doesn't really run either so not a lot of uh room for error with this guy austin wells went to the yankees at pick 28 another catcher he's a left-handed power hitting catcher and literally everything i just said about soderstrom applies here he's uh, more of a bat first kind of guy so it just depends on what the yankees decide to do with him i mean immediately if the yankees draft a bat first catcher they're like well here's our next um Boy, I've been out of baseball for so long. Gary Sanchez. Here's our next Gary Sanchez. (laughs) I don't know that he's going to be that good of a hitter, but we'll see. But again, he has played a little bit outfield, and he's not a good defensive catcher. So it just depends on what they do with his development. And then finally, at pick 29, Bobby Miller went to the Dodgers. He's a big righty, hard fastball, has a plus slider, and a changeup that exists. So if that tells you how it's uh, been graded. Mechanics are a bit wonky here, so he's probably a reliever. But there is a chance, of course, that he irons it out over time and sticks as a starter with uh, certainly major league coaching or, or minor league versions of major league coaching. There's not a whole lot of a track record here either. He's mostly kind of worked out as a reliever, but he's pitched a little bit as a starter. I like think it was 200 and something innings over four years or something like that. So we don't quite know how he's going to hold up under a workload. I like his stuff. I liked uh, I like his delivery, even though it's weird. So there is a chance that he becomes something useful. Most likely, you're looking at a reliever here, so it just depends what the Dodgers do with him. So, not an exciting group of players, but uh, but a reasonably okay one to fill out because if it does pan out for these guys, you could have some really good players on your hands.
2: we will get to more to my uh, my thoughts on the Twins draft after we uh shoot it to Eric here for the competitive balance round. Um, but just I mean, seeing Sabato's picture that they slapped up on MLB Network or ESPN or wherever you're watching, like he just looked like a uh, Mid thirties, middle manager at some corporation. It's did not inspire a lot of confidence in his.
1: He looks like a softball player. player. He looks like one yeah. of those guys that goes to the yeah. softball field, and if he doesn't hit a home run, he doesn't even bother like for <laughs> first base. He's just like this freaking game. Ugh, I can't believe it. And it's like, ugh, come on, dude. I think he likes Heineken. Just
2: looking at him. <laughs> uh, <Yeah. laughs> Anyway, so uh, Mr. Cross will kick it to you to cover the entire competitive balance round here, the sandwich round, as I like to call it, picks 30 through 37.
3: Yeah, there wasn't a lot of intrigue here for fantasy purposes. A, kind of a lot of those better in real life than fantasy prospects. Mm-hmm. Uh, starting at number 30, because um, Houston Astros didn't have a pick in the first round because they were nutty. there was only 29 <laughs> picks in the first round. Um, Baltimore. but a Mississippi state uh, formed one of the better double play duos in the nation with Jordan Foskew at Mississippi state um, potential for above average uh, speed and power here, but questions around how much average ultimately hit for, um, but that, that power and speed could lead to some 2020 type seasons. I think he can stick it short. And so there's a nice like solid upside pick in the middle, you know, middle rounds of your first year player drafts. at 31. I'm going to butcher this name. Carmen Michinski, I think I'm, I probably butchered that. M L O D Z I N S K I. I heard them say it on the draft too, and I already forgot how to say it. Um, but this <laughs> this pick kind of fits the Pirates mold to a T. And um, the Pirates have a lot of like those like kind of boring safe prospects, and Machinsky, you know, this is what I'm going. Machinsky um, kind of fits that mold. Uh, kind of a mid rotation upside, He um, isn't flashy at all, but he can eat innings. Really um, solid frame. Um, fastball slider, changeup all flash above average um, at least. So um, I think he you can, you can settle in as a nice little number three starter for them down the road. Uh, could be one of the faster movers in the draft as well. Uh, 32 this is definitely one of the better real-life pick uh, players and then fantasy players here. Uh, Nick Lofton went to the Royals, shortstop out of Baylor. Uh, defensive for a shortstop, well below average power. Uh, speed and hit tool maybe your average um, could be like a 270 10 home run 15 steal type but i don't see you know a lot more potential above that um so not really a desirable target in first year player drafts uh 33 diamondbacks out another nice arm here and Slade uh Slade Sakani ready out of the University of Miami uh, previously picked by Baltimore back in 2018 in the 38th round out of high school um Nice upside here, but, you know, there's some kinks in the armor. Really good fastball slider combination, really like that. Um, Change up, I think it can be average. There's some questions. I've seen some below average grades on it, Um, but I think it can be average. Control is pretty solid. Um, So I think this could be a really nice, another, you know, kind of mid-rotation. Number three, number four starter, really strong. uh, Six foot four frames, I think he'd be a nice innings eater. um, Long term Uh, It's another arm for that system. 34, Justin Lang uh, went to the Padres, right-handed pitcher out of Lano High School in Texas. Uh, big ready, 6'4", 220, electric fastball, borderline plus slider, changeup, control, command, all kind of work in progress. I think there might be some reaper list there, but I'll uh, see how the Padres handle him moving forward. At 35, Drew Romo, a catcher, went to the Rockies out of uh, the Woodlands High School in Texas. Uh, de- defensive first catcher you know that's a, the three words we all love to hear in fantasy defensive first catcher um but and he, he is a tool to stand defensively, but he's he's far from a black hole offensively um i didn't think there is a little bit of offensive upside here um maybe you know 50 hit 45 power somewhere in that range you know hits like 260 250 260 in that range 10, 10 12 maybe 15 home runs you know cores, who knows um so you could get a bump there but um, we'll, see, we'll see how he develops offensively with a stick, but that defense can definitely get him up to the major leagues you know, in time. I say he's just a high schooler, so he's several. And with the Rockies, he's probably like 12 years away. Um, Tanner Burns, 36 pick, right-hander out of Auburn, went to the Indians. Uh, who who okay, they had a sneaky good draft. The Indians here, um, mm-hmm. plus fastball slider mix, changeups around average at least a serviceable third offering. Uh, his smaller size, he's like six foot, two oh five. And he has some shoulder issues too. Those kind of create a smidgen of reliever list here. Um, but this, you know, this is a great landing spot in the Indian system. I think he could be like a back end number three, high end number four starter in time. Like I said, you know, this is a great landing spot. So um, you got to feel good about that. And then ending the comp round here, 37, Alika Williams, shortstop out of Arizona State, teammate with Spencer Torkelson. He's another defensive first shortstop with uninspiring offensive skills. Uh, potential for maybe, you know, 45 to 50 hit. You know, always get the average respectable. Uh, he's got, got a good feel for the barrel, but um, doesn't impact the ball much at all. I don't see him ever getting past, you know, like the 10 home run range. Um, slightly above average speed, I guess. So maybe he can get in like that 15 to 20 steal range. But, you know, this is definitely a better real life you know, prospect then fantasy, the Rays like the you know, accumulating all, they had a ton of middle infielders in their system. Um, gives them a lot of options here, what they want to do. Um, especially with, you know, what they want to do with a Franco. They want to move from the third, second, whatever. Um, but it's another, another shortstop for that system. But again, not early one, maybe you, you kind of take a flyer at him at the late end of first year player drafts, but this is not really a big, you know, offensive upside pick here.
2: Yeah, not the most inspiring group there in the Sandwich round. Um, but that is going to wrap up the uh the day one picks there. So let's move on to some more winners and losers. But first, let's talk about uh how we liked our own personal favorite teams uh drafts for 2020. So Ron, let's kick it out to you first, then Van, then Eric. Uh we've already talked about two of their the Rays picks. Ron, what do you think about their draft as a whole?
0: Yeah, I mean, overall, it's just it's essentially what they always try to do. And, uh, you know, Eric touched on one of the guys and Nate, you talked about one as well. You know, adding a couple of prep right handers, they don't have a rush, as we talk about, for them to get pitchers up to the major league level anytime soon. So they're one of the few clubs that has the luxury to get these high upside guys and hopefully be able to develop them. And we know most of the time they're pretty good at doing that. You talked about Nick Bitsko, kid that's. Turns 18 today, hitting 98 99 on the gun in the first round. That's a solid pick there. Uh, you know, Eric, you talked about Alika Williams a little bit. You know, you you mentioned uh, uninspiring offensive skills. I say raise up, Cross, because I like those uninspiring offensive skills and I'll gladly take them as a middle infielder on my, uh, in, my in the minors for the Rays. And that's what they do too. They they accumulate these guys that play defense and, you know, hopefully save some runs. I have to say my favorite thing that they did was probably in the 3rd round getting 2 sport guy Hunter Barnhart who was a kid that fo- played football and baseball decided to focus on baseball probably could have molded himself into a, f- a potential first rounder if he had gone to college they get him in the 3rd round guy that's a little bit raw has the tools has has the stuff there you know as a, as a kid that now he's finally kind of focusing on baseball if anybody can can bring him along, I think the Rays can do it. So I definitely like what they did if it's right in line with what they always try to do. Get some high upside arms, get some defensive first guys. It'd be nice for them to maybe take a, a power bat every once in a while, but you know, we do have G Man Choi to look forward to. So that's something I guess.
1: <laughs> As for the Angels, look, I like their uh Decision making the last several years of going after huge impact guys with flaws, you know, or, and flaws is the wrong word that needs seasoning, that need to be uh do a little bit of work. Joe Adele was kind of the exception of that, in that he just started hitting right away. But this year, right off the bat, for the first pick, and I get it, 10th overall, Reed Detmers was selected. And I just, the ceiling's so low for me with Reed Detmers. He could be a, a very fine pitcher, but he doesn't throw hard more of a a command kind of guy he's advanced so he can make it to the majors fairly quickly I get that I think that's useful and I think the angels could have used that but I just feel like uh, they were doing so good with taking the athletic young kids who could potentially be uh, very very good that this was a bit of a surprise so it's fine. It's not the worst pick in the world. I think if Detmers does turn into Mark Burley, which I keep seeing times for, that's great. But how many Mark Burley potential players turn into Mark Burley? Not very many. He's going to walk a very razor thin line and become potentially a good pitcher, but also could become one of those guys that just puts up 180 innings every year with a four, five, four, six ERA that just kind of eats up innings. We'll see. In the third, they ended up taking uh, David Calabrese. They missed their second-round pick because they signed um, Anthony Radone. Took David Calabrese in the third. He's considered one of the best, if not the best, defensive center fielder in the draft. Not much power right now. Maybe he'll grow into that. I guess that's more in line with kind of what they've done, but not very toolsy. So we'll see about him. And then we had Werner Blakely taken in the fourth, pretty athletic shortstop. Adam Seminaris in the fifth. He's a big lefty out of Long Beach State, kind of uh, another low-ceiling kind of pitcher. Blakely needs a lot of work because he's very young. Seminaris has that low ceiling, but he's 22, and he shouldn't take too long to reach the show, so... It's fine. It just wasn't a very exciting draft for the Angels. I think they did okay based on what the team needs, the Major League team needs. But it was certainly not an exciting draft for Angels fans as compared to the last several years where Jordan Adams, for example, was taken, who's a really exciting player. Of course, Joe Adele, you know some big names. But it's a far cry from four years ago when they take Hate Conger as the number one pick or Jeff Mathis even farther back than that. And it just uh, wasn't exciting at all. So we'll, we'll see. I think it's okay overall.
3: Yeah, so I would kill for the Angels draft. If <laughs> tells you how uh, how the Red Sox draft went. Um, I already talked about um, Nick York, who I thought was more of a second or third round pick. Then we did not have a second round pick, and so I went to the third round here. Um, it went they went buzzy in the third round though with uh, Blaze Williams at pick eighty seven. Now everyone should know if you follow prospects at all, you should know Blaze Jordan's name. Obviously, it's an eighty grade name. You know, Blaze with a Z, um, putting up you know huge power since he was like fifteen on YouTube or whatever the social media platform was when that video of him cranking bombs at fifteen first came out, and he was kind of put on that national spotlight. But outside of that immense power, he's he's a work in progress. You know, hit tool and approach need a ton of work. You know, defensive profile. You think he's announced as a third baseman? I don't. I don't see that happening. I think this is more like a first base DH type of profile. He's not good defensively at third from what I've seen and other, other uh, reports I've seen from other scouts. Um, So like I said, first base DH profiles, he's going to have to hit. I think the power will definitely fit there, but like I said, who knows how much average he'll hit for. So this would be, I think a guy that takes a little bit longer to develop. We're not going to see him for a while, Um, but this also could be another, you know, like a Will Benson or, you know, someone like that, that, kind of just flails out, at you know, in single A or something like that because he can't hit above, like, 210 or something. So a uh, wide range of outcomes here. Or he could be a nice, like, number five, number six hitter that just hits a ton of bombs. So we'll see. Um, I'm kind of, kind of to be determined for Blaze Jordan. And then the round out the draft, the um, Sox went with a pair of collegiate lefties. Fourth round, Jeremy Woo Yelland, hyphen yelland uh, out of Hawaii, 6'2", lefty. Not a very low ceiling, not a lot of intrigue there. Maybe back-end starter. Maybe he's a swing man. Uh, I just don't see a lot of upside there. Then pick 148 in the fifth round, so one of the last 10 to 15 picks or so. They got Shane six uh, 6'3 lefty out of Florida State. and I actually kind of like this pick, and I was talking with Ralph Lifshitz about it after it happened, where we kind of said that we both – that Drowin pick was the only pick we really, really liked um, for, for the Red Sox in this draft. Um, he's only really been focusing on pitching for a few years now, solely on pitching for a few years now. Um, for, got some projection left. You know, it can be three average, two above-average pitches. It's upside, you know, it's, it's not super high, so don't get me wrong there. I'm not saying, like, I love this guy. He's going to be a number two, but it could be, like, a number four type of guy, kind of solidifies a rotation, eats innings. Um, and it's could be a name that kind of, if he hits the ground running, you know, whenever the heck the minor league season starts in 2021 or whatever the, the heck it's going to be, this could be a guy that could really – you know, impresses and rises up prospect rankings. But like I said, probably number four starter profile here. Um, but at least back end guide. So I think it was a, that was a good pick for them. Good value pick late in the draft. But, you know, if you ask me for a grade for this Red Sox draft, D plus. <laughs> I'm gonna be generous. I just don't <laughs> like it. It's a lot. It's like under slot a lot in the first, project in the third, unintriguing in the fourth, and then, and then kind of nice in the fifth. So. Yeah, not a great draft. I'd I'd kill for for Vance Angel's draft.
2: Yeah, I was uh I you know, I've been a really big fan of the Twins f- new front office regime, everything they've done since they took over. Obviously the team is in much much better shape than it was during the Terry Ryan regime, especially in the later years, but I as I mentioned before, was not a huge fan of the Aaron Sabato pick simply because there were so many college drafts or college arms still available there that were decent, and that's really what they need. I mean, that lineup is stacked, and the Twins already have so many, you know, DH types. Like we said, he's got really no defensive home. He's probably a DH. I mean, if we just face it, like I already said, I mean, he looks like a 35-year-old middle manager, so uh, drinking all the Heinekens he can on the weekend. Uh, But, you know, at the Major League level, too, they've already got Miguel Sano at first base. Obviously, we don't expect to have Nelson Cruz around for too long, um, so that's not really a roadblock, but You know, we'll see how gracefully Josh Donaldson ages over at third base. Right now it's not an issue, but, I mean, in terms of their their prospects, too, you've already got um, Trevor Larnock, not the greatest defender in the outfield. Um, You know, Matt Walner, you've already got Brent Rooker, who's probably going to be a first baseman. You know, where is he going to go? So they've already got such a hodgepodge of these guys who are all kind of the same. Um, You could have really used some college pitching, like, I mean, guys who are going to be up in relatively short order, whether it's going to be out of the bullpen or whether it's going to be, you know, kind of those long relievers or openers or whatever, they could have really used the help there. And there are plenty of arms that I thought plenty fondly of. I thought they should have gone that direction. And they also lost a couple of draft picks for signing um, or a draft pick for signing Josh Donaldson. Um, So they only had four picks in this draft. And uh, their second round pick, uh, Alaric Solary out of Tennessee, I guess I'm okay with, uh, you know, kind of tools the outfielder there we'll see what comes of him um but again i would have rather they went pitching and they did not uh they finally in the fourth round uh snapped up marco raya um a prep pitcher uh right-hander and that was kind of out of the norm for them i think they're going to have to pay him over slot to get him signed uh but it's not really the type of player that they target um you know since this new regime took over there a lot um, you know, they, they've they tried to stay away from those prep righties and uh, understandably so, because that's really what led to the demise of the Twins under the Terry Ryan regime is uh, drafting way too many prep righties who just, I mean, there's just so much risk with that profile. Uh, and then the fifth round, they finished things out with Kalai Rosario uh, out of Hawaii, who's uh, out of uh, high school uh, bat there. So kind of intriguing I guess kind of high upside but you know still a huge question mark as the 158th overall selection there so I thought that was at least intriguing but you know we'll we'll see what he's able to do once the twins get their mitts on him uh so let's talk winners and losers here Ron we'll go back to you here who in your opinion had the best draft
0: so I'm going to roll with a couple teams here and I'm not going to get too much into the specific players that each team had but I just like the overall plan that they that they went with. And, and it's a couple of teams that, you know, we, we only had a few rounds, a handful of rounds compared to what we have had in the past. And I like the fact that these teams realize what their minor league systems had and what their minor league systems didn't have. And they attacked it aggressively. So first team I'm going to highlight is the Marlins. You know, we talked to them about them getting Max Meyer. And, you know, when we yeah. previewed their system, we, we, we like their system a little bit. They've got definitely got the bats there. They run.
2: Run. Yep. Who, who runs the Marlins these days? Uh, <laughs>
0: Derek Jeter He's Derek Jeter And he's finally here He's gonna take the team all the way this year Derek Jeter Hit that
1: ball!
0: Oh yeah, that's right <laughs> You're welcome, Van And I didn't do that just for that reason But it does serve dual you, purposes here If
2: only you could have seen the expression on Van's face <laughs> I can only imagine
0: <laughs> so, th- what they ended up doing was, you know, the, the Jazz Chisms of the world, the Jesus Sanchez's of the world, J.J. Bladet is there. They've got bats in that system. They recognize the f- the the fact that they need arms in that system, and they used every single pick on a pitcher, and I think that's a great way to do it. And, and uh, like I said, Max Meyer at the top there, a little bit questionable, but overall one of the top guys there. They saw something with him. just going to be a matter of how they develop these arms. Second one I like quite a bit was the tigers but for the same reasons but the opposite end of the spectrum you know we mentioned earlier with Spencer Torkelson number one obviously they're going to get a a solid grade just for getting that guy in the draft as well but I like the fact that they went with four more college bats right after that that tells you they want to be aggressive with with hitting they want these guys to come along a little bit more quickly so they want to pair them with those you know the Casey Mises of the world and the, the pitching that they have so I like the fact that they recognize that, and I like the fact that these two teams recognize with the handful of picks that they had what they needed to do, what they needed to attack, and they went out and did it, and they definitely helped themselves. So I think if if you had to highlight a couple of teams, I think the Marlins and Tigers both had a drafts in my opinion.
1: I really like what the Tigers did. Obviously, I mean that's a very easy thing to come out and say after that draft. Uh, however, for fantasy purposes. I don't like taking a catcher that early, so I think that dings the Tigers a little bit. Their second overall pick uh, was a catcher, so they'll slip a little bit. We're we're probably going to have several of the same uh, rollovers with teams here, so I decided to highlight a team that I don't think anyone would select. And I just got through saying I liked what the Angels used to do with taking, you know, the high-end, high-ceiling player and seeing what happens. And I think that's exactly what the St. Louis Cardinals did this year. Usually, their safety—they take the guy that's probably going to be a ma- uh, major league player, maybe not exciting, but someone who's who's pretty solid. They'll do trades, they'll develop well, whatever it may be. But this year, they ended up kind of uh, just swinging for the fences, essentially. Uh, Jordan Walker is a very big boy. Hands out could hit a ton of home runs they also had uh, Mason Wynn, who's kind of a toolsy athletic raw guy with the huge potential again, exactly what I said I liked what the the angels went after and then of course the the hints I forget his actual first name, but he goes by Tink. T-I-N-K as his nickname, who is their pick in the third round. Little bitty guy, uh, starting pitcher, but has performed far better than people his size traditionally do as a starter, and his size traditionally allows. So overall, I just really like the the draft they made. I think they, they tried to go exciting, which is something the Cardinals don't do, and maybe it'll pan out, maybe it won't. We'll find out in a few years, but if it does, I think it could be uh, a couple of exciting players for the Cardinals who they just don't have exciting prospects ever. And if they do, they die in car crashes. Like, um, oh, wow, I just blanked on his name a few years ago. Their top outfield outfield prospect. Tavares. Tavares, yeah, yeah. Uh, So it's just... It, and that was the last uh, – good friends of mine, I live in Missouri, are Cardinals fans, and they were, of course, heartbroken by that because it's terrible, but also, like, of course, we finally get a prospect who's like this elite-level high-end guy who's a hitter, of course. They've had a couple of pitchers over the years, and it, it something horrible happens. So we'll see. Maybe it'll pan out well. Maybe it won't.
3: For me, I like – especially for fantasy purposes, I like what the New York Mets did um, with their first three picks, um, getting Pete Crow Armstrong – JT Ginn, uh, who was a former first-round pick by the Dodgers back in 2018, but um, decided to go back to school. Um, and then in the third round, got Isaiah Green at pick 69, who I really, really like. I think there's um, some C.J. Abrams quality there. I to, he's not on C.J. Abrams' level, um, but that kind of you know above-average hit tool, um, double-plus speed, um, power. I think there's more power to be had there. Um, swings pretty flat through the zone, um, but he hits the ball hard. He seems to add some loft there. Uh, I think he's a guy that, you know, if he if he hits the ground running and rookie ball next year, that could be a guy that really just shoots up rankings, super toolsy. And the outfield, I talked about P. Crow Armstrong, J.T. Ginn's electric righty, um, kind of back in number two, high in number three starter upside. Uh, for real-life purposes, Cleveland had a heck of a draft. Um, San Diego had it. You know, potentially a really good draft if they are able to sign uh, Cole Wilcox, who fell to them, uh, pick eighty, due to the signability concern um, concerns. But you know, it's uh, Ian Smith said he heard that the numbers would be around three point three million. Ray Butler prospects three sixty five kind of backed that up. Um, they've already got a couple of their draft picks, their fourth and fifth round picks, slined, uh, slined, signed to underslot. Um, so they've already saved a little bit of money there. Uh, so it could get done if, if they can get Cole Wilcox in addition to Robert Hassel, Justin Lang, uh, Owen Cussie, Casey, I can, I'm not sure how you pronounce that last name, um, but I think they had a really good draft as well, um, really kind of a lot of, you know, that Padres system just keeps getting stronger and stronger, and they added to that with this draft.
2: Hey, you guys pretty much touched on everyone uh, that I had written down as my favorites. The Marlins were going to be my choice as well. Also noted the the Mets and the Padres, especially if they do get Wilcox signed. Uh, but also, you know, uh, Eric, you mentioned it earlier. The Indians had a really nice draft. Carson Tucker early on, Tanner Burns, Logan Allen, Petey Halpin, all really uh highly regarded prospects there. So uh, the Indians uh, definitely killed it in my estimation. So let's go to the flip side. Ron, who do you think uh, really blew it this year? Who had the worst draft?
0: Uh, there was a few to choose from. The Rangers was a little bit of a head-scratcher going Justin Foscue in the first round. And in the second round, they went with a kid out of Tennessee and Evan Carter that wasn't even in most uh, draft guides I think I read somewhere where he wasn't even in the Baseball America top 500, so that was a little bit of a head-scratcher there. I agree with you, Nate, as far as – I wouldn't say the Twins had the worst one, but they – I think they could have definitely added some arms and kind of helped themselves out. I think the Giants had a little bit of a head-scratching draft as far as drafting another catcher. And last but not least, I got to point the point out the Cubs draft just for the fact that they drafted guys named Ed and Burl.
1: But oh, I didn't of- realize this was 1920. <laughs> yeah, right. So, if
0: yeah, if we were playing in the in, you know the 1929, they might be contenders. But I know, I don't know about old Burl Caraway.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, you pretty much took mine from me. I was going to say the Rangers. Uh, obviously, the Red Sox, the Yankees also had kind of a rough draft. Um, those were the big two that stood out to me. And then looking at it a little more, I just did not like what the Rangers did at all. Foscue, I think they took him 10 to 15 picks than most people had him ranked. So they must see something that the rest of us don't. I mean, he's still a fine pick. It was their first overall pick, but uh, there were just better options on the board there. And that Carter that you mentioned, who they took with their second pick, wasn't even on ba- Baseball, America. Baseball America's top 500. So... <laughs> This was just out of left field. It's a high school guy, so maybe somebody got a better look at him than what they thought. Maybe they were trying to save as much money as possible. Who knows? But, yeah, I, th- I thought the Rangers had a real bad draft this time around, too.
3: <laughs> yeah, I, I, I definitely agree with the Rangers. <laughs> I was like, go with the Rangers. Uh, yes, Evan Carter. I think um, Mason McRae's over his uh, The War Room at Prospects 365. He had a, uh, a list of, I think it was 700 and something. He, would, he he didn't even have Evan Carter in the seven hundred and whatever. So that's just, oh. you know maybe like I said the Rangers might have some you know some magical scout that saw something and then Evan Carter who knows but that'll be that'll be interesting to follow. Um, I don't I don't like what Cincinnati did overall. Hendrick was a nice pick, got some upside there in the first round, but outside of that, you know I think like, Christian Rowe is decent. I think he'd be a mid rotation mid rotation arm uh, righty out of Texas A and M. And um, then he went the catcher high school catcher in the third round, you know, a couple of other um, outfielders or another outfielder, Mac Wayne Ray and then Bryce Bonin, another Texas tech, another Texas product out of Texas tech. And then another righty Joe Boyle out of Notre Dame, not really enthralled with, you know, the picks after the first two rounds there. And I think for fantasy purposes, especially San Francisco, it was, that was a very boring draft class. Um, I could say the same with Oakland too. You mentioned going Tyler Soderstrom, catcher first. I think Jeff Criswell could be a nice back-end starter um, ready out of Michigan. Um, but outside of that, not a lot of intrigue from Oakland draft. And then back to, to San Francisco, Patrick Bailey um, in my top 100. He's in my top 100 first-year player rankings, but I think I have him like 90-something. Um, just not a lot of intrigue there. Uh, and then, then they went, you know, had some pitchers after that that, no, I, I like um Swinney, I think I'm not sure if it's Sweeney or Swinney. Um Nick Swinney, lefty out of NC State. I I like him a little bit. Casey Schmidt, third base from another San Diego State. has got a little bit of pop. Um Gl- Glowinke, Jimmy Glowenky, I love that name. Shorts up out of Dallas Baptist. Um could be a nice little back end, you know, drafty and and for first year player drafts. But overall, that was uh, you know, more of a real life focus. and obviously they're focusing for real life and not for fantasy. But um yeah, like Patrick Bailey, that was very a very yeah, you know, that was a head scratching pick, like you mentioned with Joey Bart. Maybe they moved him to first, maybe he's a universal DH, but didn't really understand that pick. I think they really needed another arm in that system. Because most of their top bats or most their top prospects are bats. Um they don't really have much pitching talent or depth in that system. So I thought they were gonna go you know, make a bell or, you know, even something you know, something like that, um, in that spot. Um they but they didn't, so yeah, I didn't really like what San Fran did either. <laughs>
2: Yeah, you guys have uh, hit on most of them. You know, if I were to crown someone, I would probably go with the the Red Sox as the worst draft. Um, The Orioles, as we touched on already, kind of overthought it. You know, it didn't quite work out for them there. Um, Wasn't crazy about my Twins draft either. Um, I would like to pick on the Astros as well because they didn't have two of their picks because they're dirty cheaters. So um, that's what you get. Uh, but I, I would also like to just nitpick, I guess, the Rockies draft a little bit like I don't blame them, I guess, for going with Zach Veen since he was still on the board there with the, the ninth pick in the first round. But still, you really need pitching and then especially to go with the defensive first catcher and Drew Romo in the sandwich round there. Um, I, Still a lot of great pitchers on the board there. They did finally go with Chris McMahon, you know, in the second round, and they went uh, a couple pitchers in their next two picks after that as well. But, I mean, as a team who you can't really lure pitchers into pitching Colorado via free agency, you've got to grow these guys. And I think they should have probably focused, I mean, with such a pitching – uh, rich draft I think they should have probably struck um, struck with the pitching here in this draft instead of going with those bats early on uh, but that is going to wrap us up for this episode if you guys have any other questions or thoughts be sure to hit us up on the Twitter um, but you know uh, our schedule is a little bit choppy moving forward if there's news if there's things to talk about we will be back at you um, otherwise you know we'll uh, just see you when we see you so stay safe out there